I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and I'm driving along an unsealed, a bumpy unsealed road in the middle of central Otago. I'm heading towards Terrace and it's hard to imagine that this would be probably one of the main roads that would lead to an international airport. Uh, but that's the plan of Christchurch Airport if their proposal to build the airport at Terrace goes ahead. Turn left onto Terrace Cromwell Road. So today on the detail I'm heading to Terrace to find out what this plan is all about and I'm going to meet Jill Heron who's been writing about it for Newsroom. So we've pulled into Terrace Village which is, there's a store, there's a little, there's a couple of petrol bowsers, there's Terrace Country Cafe and there's the Merino shop. There's also a little school here and just as we sit down for a coffee, the conversation with the customers right next to us, political campaigners by the way, is about the Terrace Airport. What are they saying? Who wants A380 screaming down the road? Jill and I head down the road to the contentious site and when we get there it's a bit blustery. Okay, so Jill, it feels like we're standing in the middle of nowhere. Where are we? <laughs> what is this place? Um, so this is the Upper Clutha Valley. We're probably about 10 kilometres from the village of Taras and it's a farming area. There's conservation areas around it. A typical central Otago landscape, you might say. It typical is. Typical valley. Yes. I think there's a vineyard it somewhere is. near. Yeah, with Mary Point Vineyards just there. and But there's more lifestyle blocks um, coming online in the area as well. We're here because, what, on, on one side of this road is the land that's owned by Christchurch Airport. Christchurch International Airport, yes. They bought the land about two and a half years ago, uh, 750 hectares of farmland with the view to building an international airport. This is land that's been owned by local farmers? Yes. What do you know about the plans? They're planning a runway of up to 2.6 kilometres, so that's able to take wide-body jets, um, as in long-haul international flights. They are aiming at freight as well, being able to take freight to those destinations. Consents are due to be lodged next year, which will be quite a big process because there's a lot to a lot of aspects to a to an international airport. Where are they applying for consent? Those would be dealt with by the Otago Regional Council and the Central Otago District Council, um, and unless they sort of were deemed too large for a small district council to deal with, then they could go on to a larger authority. What would it involve? Well, you've got um, resource consent, building consents, water permits, and as well as the aviation side of it. But on, on the ground, the big ones are your resource consent. Um, obviously, it's zoned rural here, so there would be a new airport zoning. 
So the public, or you, first found out about it two years ago? Yes, it was right on COVID lockdown time when um, it came out that, that the land had already been purchased or the land had been secured. It was, it was very low profile. For a dirt road, this is quite busy, isn't it? <laughs> um, but um, and so, how did they send out a press release? How did how did the public find no, out? No, they um, the people selling the land were not aware that it was being being intentional for an airport to be built. A lot of people seemed to be under the impression it was for horticulture, perhaps cherries, which is pretty big industry in this area and it's expanding here. Mm-hmm. Um, the local media outfit called Crux broke the story. They heard it was happening. What was the reaction when it became public? I think people were pretty taken aback by it. I guess because this area is very popular for lifestylers and vineyards and it's a pretty quiet place. We've got Wanaka Airport 20 kilometres away. We've got Queenstown International Airport is only an hour up the road. So, you know, it's a, it was a pretty big, a big ambitious plan to put another whole international airport sort of out in the sticks of Taras. Yeah, well, and it is in the sticks, isn't it? I mean, Taras itself um, is on the main road between... Cromwell and Wanaka. So it's a very strategic location. Yes. It's very central for this area. Yes, but it's still the middle of nowhere. It is the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and Terrace itself is tiny. So what are people saying? What are local people saying about it? It, it seems that the majority of people are pretty concerned about this. People don't want bulk tourism. The tourism is changing and tourism leaders are changing the way they do things to kind of slow tourism down, make people value what's here more, spend more time in in each area. So all that is just really starting to get written into all the new destination plans for all our regional tourism organisations and their concern is that you know putting an international airport in an area like this doesn't match with what they're aiming to do that they don't want to be here comes a big tractor yeah be dictated to and, and not have control of what happens in the area themselves Now, Christchurch Airport has kept a fairly low profile over this, but I've been given a rare interview. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is to lay the groundwork for really good decision-making, and it always feels very premature to talk about something stopping that is an exploration. We haven't reached those answers. More from Michael Singleton later in the podcast. But right now, I'm at the home of Michael Ross, the former chair of Wanaka Stakeholders Group, talking to him and the group's current chair, Meg Taylor. They've already notched up a High Court win that stopped the development of a jet airport at Wanaka. Now they have a new battle over Taras. Yes, so I think we, we won, that for, won that battle for the time being in 2021. 
And it wasn't that much later that Taris uh, revealed they'd purchased land at Taris, extensive land, and were planning a large-scale international airport. And just in the last uh, fortnight, they've come out with more detailed plans, uh, and the airport includes a runway are likely to be around 2,600 metres. And that has a capacity to take flights from Australia, uh, wide-bodied jet aircraft from Southeast Asia uh, and the Pacific. What was your reaction when you heard about this plan? Uh, I think it's really the same thing. It's, It's airport corporations coming into our district and wanting to make decisions on large-scale infrastructure that's going to have a fairly overwhelming impact. And that impact is is obviously climate and environment related, but it's also a massive impact on infrastructure in the area. And yes, uh, it will um, spur growth, but there will also be a lot of costs connected with that growth. And it will encourage mass tourism uh, rather than... I guess slightly more controlled tourism we've we've currently got. We're growing like topsy anyway in this district. We've got a, a booming uh, local resident population and we've also got a, a, a tourism industry that's been coming back very quickly after COVID. And even as it is, the council is struggling to cope with the infrastructural demands of that combination. I think that it was opportunistic from Christchurch Airport's point of view. Clearly they lost a lot of market share after the Christchurch earthquakes and those international flights went to Auckland. This was a way of them gaining international travel and ringing up their till in favour of um, them grabbing a bigger slice of the international arrivals market. The group put out a survey, I think, earlier this week... And it showed a very high percentage of local people opposed to the Taris Airport plans. Yes, so uh, at the end of August we surveyed membership and we got 608 replies, which is a good response rate. So of those respondents, 95.9, almost 96%, uh, said that Wanaka and the Upper Clutha should or must be consulted in any decision process, and 82.7% were opposed to the development of a new international jet airport at Taris. Interestingly, quite a number of those respondents uh, recognised that, yes, an airport at Taris would be convenient for them, but nevertheless they opposed it. What, what are you so afraid of, though? Because as a visitor down here, it's vast and it's open and it's empty, a lot of this area. So what's wrong with another airport bringing in more people? I think that the thing that concerns us most is that the reason people come to this area is to experience just what you've described. They don't come to experience towns that are heaving with people and to drive on narrow roads with uh, heaps of congestion. So they come here for the quality of the environment. And we have to sustain the quality of the environment, otherwise that we're just going to lose what we've got. So I think it's um, what we're afraid of most of all is just what growth might do 
unbridled tourism growth might do to this this part of the world. The other day I was in Naseby doing another story about the uh, wanting to become a dark sky community and it was, pr- it was pretty empty, you know, and then you come back to Wanaka and it's heaving. Um, they want more tourists there. Wouldn't an extra airport bringing in more people be good for them? Well, I think we're actually, we're getting more tourists anyway, even without an airport. We, we're growing very, very fast and you look at the number of people for the new Dunstan Trail between Clyde and Cromwell, the, the cycle trail. You so know. they got 60,000 Six, in the first year, 64,000. Yeah. So tourism is booming in this area, and a lot of it relates to those quaint little towns. And, you know, you just don't get environments like that around the world or around even New Zealand now so much anymore. And New Zealand's, I mean, Wanaka, rather, is hanging on to that by its fingertips. <laughs> um, and we're, we're not talking about stopping tourism we're talking about managing it again we go back to this matter do the people of the area want it do the people of the area actually need it and I'm pretty sure that the answer to both of those questions is no it's simply a corporate land grab for market share to make money and they're making money out of our scenery because um, they haven't got it back in Christchurch so there you go. <laughs> I, I just uh, I think that it's um, there's a lot of people in this community that are quite concerned about it and opposed to it. Are you worried about being called NIMBYs? Uh, not in the slightest. This, it's not about NIMBYism. It's about preserving the very valuable asset that this area has got in terms of tourism and in terms of a place to live. And all our residents are supremely aware of how lucky we are to live in this area and we want to protect it. I'm at Queenstown Airport to catch a flight home and it is chocker. Tourism has really bounced back after COVID. A flight has just been cancelled because of the weather and there's that tension in the crowd as a plane load of people figure out what to do next. It's the limitations of Queenstown as an international airport that is one factor behind the plans for Terrace. It's just over an hour's drive away. Michael Singleton is the Chief Strategy and Stakeholder Officer at Christchurch Airport. We haven't made any um, fixed decisions on what will happen here. So in essence, we are we're exploring the potential for a new airport to serve central Otago. So one of the things we know and has been apparent over, um, it's not a new issue, um, is that there's capacity constraints in that part of the world. And you've also got a very thriving part of New Zealand as well. So there gets to be a bit of an infrastructure mismatch there. Uh, and our project is really about focusing in on that and working out ways to solve that in the future. So, uh, yes, I have heard something like by 2030 you're thinking that there'll be three people fighting for one seat on a plane, basically. By 2050. So at about 2030, these um, constraints really start to bite. So the amount of movements, if you like, coming into Queenstown you know, equals its ability to serve them. But as you start moving out, and this is really what our project's about, that 10, 20, 30-year horizon, um, when you start getting out towards 2050, that's when you're starting to see a couple of people missing out for every person who can fly. 
have you got any costings or any dates for when you would open it and how much it's going to cost? We haven't got um, our dates around that. What we've said is our project will work through some very deliberate stages. This first one that we're in um, is around gathering up all that information, listening to different perspectives, uh, making sure we have got things um, clear in our mind. If we have at the end of that, we will then look at securing an approval. That could be a very lengthy process if that's where we go. And then you have to build this thing. So um, we say it's not something that's going to you know, be sitting there this in the, in the 2020s, um, but we start to sort of think in the 2030s, that's when you really do need to um, see this. So no fixed opening or start date, if that's where it gets to. In terms of costing, um, that's some of the work we're still working at the moment to know exactly what it is that you would um, build at the start. That's a big piece of work we have been doing recently around working out about runway length, how far, how much length can you get into this site, which will determine its resilience, things like that. So once we get a real clear sense of that, then you can start putting numbers onto it. Why is Christchurch Airport, the South Island's main airport, involved in trying to build another international airport? So a couple of reasons. One, as you said, we're the South Island's largest um, airport. We're New Zealand's second largest um, airport. So we've spent a long time investing beyond just Christchurch. So we're certainly not an airport just for Christchurch. Um, and this is an opportunity for us to continue to to explore beyond those immediate geographies. But another reason is why us is if you go back to 2017. So um, the challenge that faces Central Otago isn't a new one. And in 2017, um, it really was a call from the airlines who said, we think it's time to take a bigger view at the whole of the Central Otago region and have a look at um, what is the, the airports or the infrastructure that it needs going forward. So there really was, if you like, an invitation or a provocation, um, and that's something we took up. And why Terrace? Why have you chosen Terrace as the place to be? Because it's only just over an hour's drive from Queenstown Airport. Terrace is centrally located, and we looked at that from the perspective of the central Otago region. It's really well located to um, existing road and land transport networks. That's really important. And it's in the middle of a population that is going to continue to grow. So we've done quite a bit of work about understanding how that population will grow into the future. And that work tells us that, you know, out to 2050, the population centre of Central Otago starts to move into the Kawara Gorge. So we're not that far from what we think is going to be the centre of population growth. Is there also something about the geography there at Taras? Because having been there, it's quite flat, isn't it, the area that you own? Um, that must be important because that's one of the constraints for Queenstown, isn't it? You know, there's so many mountains around. Hugely important. Central Otago is a mountainous region um, and it's built on a series of, of valleys. So finding land that is able to serve an aeronautical purpose isn't always straightforward in valleys. So we've located a piece of land that we think is good for that. And we have spent probably the last couple of years working really hard with aeronautical experts to make sure that that's a place where 
you know, well out into the future, you're going to be able to land aircraft efficiently and safely. You're going to enable airlines to use their best aircraft um, and their best fleet. So when they think about the fleet decisions they will make in that 20 to 30 year horizon, they've got a good sense of what they need operationally. So that was a really, really important piece of site selection. I have to say Christchurch Airport isn't very popular very at the moment in central Otago. You know, there seem to be a lot of people who aren't happy about these plans. How do you get around that? I mean, I'm thinking about the two particular groups, Wanaka Stakeholders Group and Informed Leaders, but there's at least one other that I'm aware of who just are, are really unhappy about these plans. Sure. And um, we understand that and we have to respect that. And we're also, um, I think, pragmatic enough to know that whenever you um, contemplate large infrastructure uh, projects or challenges, you are going to face um, a large amount of opposition and that that's probably going to travel with you throughout the length of the project. So I think one of the interesting parts of it, though, is that we are still ultimately on a um, on a discovery process. So we often hear and particularly from the informed leaders group, that this needs to stop um, now. And I think that's something there has to be some difficulty with because ultimately what we're trying to do is to is to lay the groundwork for really good decision-making. And you know, it always feels very um, premature to talk about something stopping that is an exploration. We haven't reached those answers. And ultimately, we are fortunate in New Zealand that we do have really robust planning frameworks. So before this can even contemplate putting a spade in the ground, any evidential basis that either party is going to put up there is going to be rigorously tested. And that's a really positive thing. The the two main concerns or criticisms are, are pretty obvious. The the worries about over-tourism that that this airport is going to bring a lot more tourists to an area that is already under pressure or to towns like Wanaka and Queenstown that are under huge amounts of pressure. How do you respond to that? I think everyone is still working through what over-tourism really means and what the plan for tourism in New Zealand in the future looks like. It is one of our biggest export earners. That generates um, a lot of um, social and economic prosperity for New Zealand, and we need to find ways of maintaining that. In terms of this, we think the sensible conversation is around, um, rather than waiting for that problem to materialise, planning for that well in advance. The reality is that part of the world is going to continue to be an attractive place to visit and an attractive place to live. And we think you have to look at that and, and plan better. Um, we think that's been one of the challenges we have had in the past. Um, we've certainly also in New Zealand suffered from an underinvestment and a lack of planning. You know, the growth that, that this project speaks to is not extreme growth. It's a very modest, conservative, you know, 3% growth into that area. Now, that's actually sitting inside what New Zealand's national tourism aspirations are. What we have done is, and we think this is the responsible thing, and we know it is difficult for people, is we've been quite upfront about that. 
we're saying actually if you project forward this is actually what the numbers tell you so we say that the important thing is knowing those numbers you now need to think about how you plan for them Christchurch Airport is 75% owned by Christchurch City Council through a holding company that invests in other infrastructure assets. The other 25% is held by the Crown. There's an expectation that the airport gives priority to the community over profit and will engage with communities throughout this process. For some, we may never engage enough. For others, we, we engage too often and some would rather not hear from us. Hmm. Um, but we've always said from the outset we're going to engage respectfully. We want to ensure that people um, feel well informed. Um, we provide a lot of information, um, whether that be through websites, information sheets. We've probably spent the last 18 months to two years quite heavily engaged in the aeronautical um, part. And I think that's been frustrating that we haven't had information we can share with the community. Um, but that's been a function of that work has been underway, so there's often been a limited amount to to share. I would say there's a massive amount of work done to put something like this together in a way that you could consider even getting it to approvals. We haven't had a project in aviation of this, you know, a new airport considered in New Zealand for you know 50 plus years. So it does take a lot of work. So while we've done a lot and we've more than scratched the surface, there's still a lot of work we have to do. Official information requests reveal that someone who is helping with that work is Duncan Small, who's been an Air New Zealand lobbyist and is also married to National's deputy leader Nicola Willis. That's something Michael Singleton is not happy to comment on. If and when conflicts um, for any of our team arise that trigger either our own conflicts processes or other people's conflict processes, you would expect them to be dealt with accordingly, and they will be. Meanwhile, momentum against an airport at Taras is growing. Just yesterday, climate activists staged a protest at Christchurch City Council offices over it. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Mark Chesterman. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Jill Heron, Michael Ross, Meg Taylor and Michael Singleton. Kakite. Ka